before we dive into the Gospel of John, which we've been in for a little while, chapter 15 again today, which is so exciting. This whole farewell discourse is just, um, it's just a, a, a beautiful world to be in, so much uh, to discover about Jesus and so much invitation. There's so much invitation in here. Um, but before we dive into the Gospel of John, I want to dive into the Gospel according to Walt Disney. Um, I was hoping to show a movie clip this morning, but I learned that we can get in trouble um, with Facebook until we have the proper licensing. And even if we have the proper licensing, it's trouble. So we're going to try to navigate that. So we're going to put my storytelling skills or lack thereof to the test here and see. Um, I feel like I'm breathing too loud into this. Yeah, am I good? Okay. Ha. <laughs> um, and see if I can make this scene come alive for you. So this is, uh, this is from the movie Mulan, which you know is about um, a young woman in China who out of uh, extreme compassion for her elderly father who has been called to war, steals his armor and impersonates him and runs away um, with the... Uh, the soldiers who think she's a man and the adventures are many the near-death experiences are many and she ends up saving china so yeah so at the end of the movie though there's this scene um that is breathtaking to me and i ah, i just go watch it if you can on youtube it's called um mulan returns home i think or something like that but it's just this clip and uh uh, the, her father is sitting out under this beautiful cherry blossom tree, so you have to kind of picture the cherry blossoms are kind of falling, and he's holding one, and he's, he's obviously distraught. Um, Mulan has not returned home yet, and he's just thinking, he probably doesn't know the whole story, and he's wondering what in the world has gone on and all this, and Mulan appears, and she approaches him. He's sitting on a bench under this cherry tree, and she approaches him very, very timidly, you know, she's like, how much trouble am I with my dad? Okay, I, I, I got through the emperor, but how much trouble am I with my dad for what I've just done? Because what she did was also, um, in that culture, very dishonoring for her family. And so she comes, and she's, she's just, you can see, even in an animated character, the weight that she feels, because she very timidly comes. And she has the sword and the crest of the emperor that she won, and she, she comes, and she, she just kind of, Gives the, gives the sword to her dad and then just kind of backs up. Um, you can tell that she feels the relational tension and of, of her having broken his command. And uh, she says, Father, and he's like, Mulan. And she says, Father, I've brought you a, a brother. Here come the waterworks. I can't even get through this illustration. That's why I was hoping to show it so I wouldn't have to bawl like a baby. She... Uh, she gives him the, she says, the, the, the sword of Shanyu and the emperor's crest to honor the Fa, Fa family. And she comes back and she's just bowing in honor, hoping to not have just sent her father packing from her life. And um, <coughs> gulp. Her father takes the sword and the crest of the emperor and literally tosses them tosses them on the ground and he falls at her feet as she's on the ground and he throws his arms around her and he says the greatest honor is having you for a daughter 
the greatest honor is having you for a daughter. So as it turns out, what he wanted and the honor that honored him the most really wasn't at all about her work, her effort, her trophies. What he wanted was to forgive her, to love her for who she was, to be her father, and to be her friend. Some have called the text that we're going to look at today a theology of friendship, and it is some of the uh, New Testament's most precise and focused words that we have um, regarding what Jesus' definition of friendship is. So let's read it. John chapter 15, and this is starting with verse 9. So we're going to do John 15, 9 through uh, 17. And John records Jesus saying these words. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. I will give you these commandments so that you can love each other. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So those two words, well, the, the phrase that I want to focus on this morning is I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. And those two words, servant and friend, um, are really interesting to kind of pick apart. So a servant uh, earns her status, right? A servant uh, kind of works for her trophies and her pay. A friend is loved for who she is. A friend receives and gives love. You know, growing up in the church, um, I don't remember much talk or even teaching about having Jesus as a friend. I think we do that with our little kids. We talk more about, you know, Jesus being our friend because that's a, an easy concept as the word friend is generally understood in our culture. A uh, friend is easy. Um, it feels safe. It feels good. And it's an easy way to help young children understand some of the most um, easily accessible sides of Jesus, I guess you might say. And so um, we talk about friendship there. But what I remember mostly growing up in the church is uh, a lot about justification, about sanctification, uh, sin, repentance, uh, and those kind of bigger words. 
And so for me, even uh, when I started reading this text and studying it a couple weeks ago, even to talk and think about um, Jesus as a friend kind of felt kind of sentimental. It had some shallowness to it, like a friend is, um, you know, Jesus, uh, he was fun at parties. You know, a friend is somebody that you can hang out with or that's good, um, you know, to to talk to on a rainy day. I couldn't help coming through this text, though, um, this week and coming out on the, under, on the other side with the clear feeling that John is telling us about God's idea of friendship, and it's not the same idea of friendship that most of us probably have that's kind of the generally accepted feeling in our culture. Generally for us, a friend is someone that you go to the movies with, that you uh, spend time texting or calling, that you can go eat Thai food with. Um, but we don't usually use the word friend with someone who would lay down his life for you. That's like the Avengers or Navy SEALs or, you know, really extreme people that, or really extreme circumstances where someone lays down, Rick yes, Rick Grimes, those kind of, those kind of crazy people. Um, so full confession, I um, have thought several times in studying this passage about a particular episode of The Chosen. And I'll just do another plug. If you haven't plugged yet into The Chosen, oh, please do. It's, it's so beautiful. And it is... Um, extra biblical. There is a lot of filling in the blanks, um, but if you understand that, it's 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 great to it's a great tool to be able to imagine uh, kind of some of the realness of these people, some of the humanity of these people. So there's one episode. Um, <coughs> excuse me. There's one episode in. Um, it was a couple weeks ago that we watched it. It's in season two. And it, it focuses on John, who wrote the gospel um, and the epistle that was read this morning, too. And it shows him struggling. And he's sitting at a dining table with his mother, which is really Jesus' mother. You remember the cross event, cross scene where Jesus, in dying, in compassion, looks at John and says, John, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. So he kind of helped them adopt each other. So John's sitting there with Mary, and he's like, I've got to write these things down. This, it's showing like the struggle and the intentionality and just like all the, all the heart and soul and sweat that, that was just like going into this project for him. And um, he just says, I don't know where to start. And she's like, well, start with Abraham. And I'm like, no, that's not soon enough. And then, you know, it, it just shows um, how much was going into this for him. I love the scene with him and his mom, him and the mom. Um, I pray my kids always feel safe and comfortable coming to the dining room table uh, to process and think out loud about some of life's hard places. But you can see that John just really wants his audience to feel and know Jesus in the way that he does, and he deeply wants to dispel some of the myths that were flying around about Jesus. One of them being that Jesus was just another good teacher. And 
so that's the gift of the chosen for me is that it helps me see and realize that these people weren't walking around in a protected bubble sprinkled with holy dust that just let them glide over kind of you know glide over life's difficulties but they um, they grappled with life and discovered that actually it was the very life and death of Jesus pulsing through their veins that that gave them the power and insight and the life to get through life's difficulties. So it's going through it, not escaping it. Um, but it makes me want to pay attention to uh, the order of words as he words them and the intentionality that's put into it and the message that, he, that John is saying um, when he says Jesus' definition of friendship is that one lays down his life for a friend. Um, so I've had lots of good people in my life and lots of good teachers in my life, but Jesus is the only one that laid down his life for me. So John zooms in on this, this um, theology of friendship, and actually, even though our own word in our own culture for friendship um, might be feel a little more surface, and it certainly isn't that we're, you know, completely shallow, but I just mean our general use of the word seems to be more surface, but that's not the case for John's first audience, and I think that's really important for us to know. So John's first audience would have understood and easily embraced what he was saying. It wouldn't have been a shock to them for him to say, this is friendship. This is, there's no greater friend than, than one lays down his life for a friend. It actually was a commonly understood part of ancient literature and philosophical culture to understand that friendship uh, involved deep sacrifice. And in the larger Roman Greek world where the church was being formed, um, this was this was part of their thinking. It was kind of the it was kind of written. Both Plato and Aristotle wrote some things about. Um, sacrifice and friendship, and then so there's so there's laying down life as one aspect of the friendship, and then the other piece of John's theology of friendship is that a friend speaks the truth, even if the truth is difficult. Jesus says, "I have shared with you, I've given you, I've told you everything that the Father has given to me, and that is how you can know that I have called you friends." So the reality of open and honest speech. Um, a friend is someone who will tell you the truth, if, even if the truth is hard. Um, and for John, what set Jesus apart wasn't so much this teaching, because like I said, it was a common teaching in the culture, but for, for John, Jesus goes the extra step and not only defines friendship with his words, he defines it with his life. The whole life and the whole death of Jesus was about living and showing and modeling this kind of friendship. Greater love has no man than he lays down a life for a friend. And I have called you friend for everything I have learned from the Father I have made known to you. Full sacrifice and straight talk. We all have, I think, some experiences um, with friendship that have formed us in the best possible ways. And then we all have those experiences that we wish we could forget. I remember being in fifth grade, 
at the Randall Elementary School in Randall, Washington, when a friend told me that if I didn't tweeze my eyebrows and get rid of my unibrow, she wasn't going to be my friend anymore. Which was a lie because she continued, I didn't do it, and she continued, because it hurts. I'm like, I'm not, that's dumb, I'm not doing that. And she, um, but she continued to be my friend and planned Halloween. We planned the best Halloween parties, and later that year we uh, learned sign language so that we could talk to each other without passing a note and say things like, meet me out at the swing at recess during Mrs. Jones' math class. So she remained a really good friend. But when Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command, the temptation is to think in terms of fifth grade friends and unibrows that Jesus is manipulating or coercing, that our friendship with him hinges on our ability to perform as he commands, that his love for us depends on how big the trophies are when we come home from saving China. Yet John is clear. And the words are not, if you do this, then you will be my friends. But he says, I have called you friends. It's a present and, and pre-existing reality. Jesus is not so much describing a process as he is defining a relationship. Because from the foundation of the earth, Christ died for us. And, and I was blown away, Lorenzo, by the words in, in several of these songs this morning. Holy Spirit did a great job picking these out with you. And um, I was found before I was lost. I was yours before I was not. You wear the scars for all my mistakes. Before, before anything, Jesus was calling us and calling us his friend. I have called you friends. This is who you are, and that reality will form you in life-giving ways as you receive and give my love, as you remain in me. And these words come so long before the disciples had demonstrated really carrying out his command. So it wasn't a contingency plan. I have called you friends before you obey. I've called you friends before you went seeking trophies. I called you friends when you treated me like an enemy and you were enemies with each other. Maybe the love of Jesus turns enemies into friends. The greatest treasure I know as a mom is to have my children remain in my love to be connected in life-giving ways and to come to the dining room table and talk through difficulties or just sit in silence and admit that the whole thing doesn't make sense sometimes. Just to do life together and let the love and the trust and the grace continue to grow through all the ups and downs. Through the years of, our, uh, of, our, of growing up with the kids, and it's not done yet. <laughs> but through the years, there have been many household commandments broken. There was the time, um, Timmy, <laughs> any amens from the back row back there? I see those hands. Uh, there was the time in Colorado when Timmy came upstairs, and he was like heavy, and he, his head was down, and he said, Mom, 
could, could you sit down? And so my heart's racing. I'm like, okay, he's alive, and he's, his, uh, di his pupils aren't dilated. This can't be that bad. And he, he sits down, and he says, I blew up the toilet. You what? So Timmy at 16 decided it would be fun to figure out what would happen if you dropped a lit firecracker down into the toilet. And it was a living nightmare to get that cleaned up. Uh, then there was the time that Jaden and Shayna decided to get into the bear spray and see what that would feel like on each other. And the other time that they decided to channel their inner Van Gogh and redo the whole bedroom wall were the times they all forgot to call me and tell me that they had arrived safely. But you know, the thing that mattered most in the breaking of all those commandments was not the particulars of a commandment. You can go to Home Depot and buy a new toilet. You can repaint the wall. The heartache was in the aftermath, the hiding, the minutes or hours or days afterwards of them distancing themselves, of not remaining in this love. We have this definition of love, and we don't do the defining. Love defines us. How easy is it to love someone who loves us? But now comes this. You didn't choose me, Jesus said. And in that state of not choosing me, I chose you. I chose you. Before you even looked my way, before you obeyed, I called you friend and laid down my life for you. Maybe the love of Jesus turns enemies into friends. And those friends then according to verse 16, are the very ones that go and bear fruit. That is, they, we, are the ones that take this chosenness, this belovedness that we have opened ourselves up to, and we take it and we spread it. We become that to one more and one more and one more. Even the ones that don't tweeze their eyebrows on command, and the ones that scribble on walls and blow up toilets, love them. Love the world with honest conversation and a cruciform love. As Brad Jersak says, God's self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. And the only way to do that, the only way to love like that, is to remain in the love that has formed you. Remain in the love that was given to you before you even knew anything, before you lifted your head, before you took a step, before you chose anything, not based on anything you have done or could do. He has called you his friend. And today, he says to us, remain in that love. And maybe that is the most beautiful gem and the heartbeat of the gospel that you and I are invited to be friends with God. 
and that the deepest faith response, after all, maybe isn't signing off on any particular theology or giving your okie-dokie to this church polity or that piece of church dogma, but instead maybe the faith response that Jesus so desires is that you open up to see your own belovedness, to see your own chosenness, and that when you see it, you take that chosenness and go and choose others. To be honestly alive is to receive and live in and give this self-giving, radically forgiving, so co-suffering love of Jesus. So we're getting ready to come to the table and celebrate together this friendship this co-suffering love that Jesus modeled for us and gave us and instills in us and empowers, uh, empowers us with. Jesus' definition of friendship brings together the way of love and the way of the cross. And he says, this is the way. I am the way. So as we meet at the table, I pray that we can hear Jesus' words. This is my command, my child. My friend, believe the gospel, know your chosenness, and love each other as I have loved you. Amen.